CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, March the 1st starts now. Today on the show, it's Oh, What a Week, so Ben's going to talk the top stories in Democratic and Republican politics with Jacob Kaplan. The Ben Jarofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, you want to know what's happening in art, in news, in politics, in uh, new expansion around the city, you want to head to chicagoreader.com, stay updated. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, he's there too. Head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this A Tale of Two Judges Friday, and here's why. Uh, actually, it's oh, what a week, and my uh, guest is my old friend, uh, Jacob Kaplan, Executive Director of the Cook County Democratic Party. We're going to go over all the political news of the day because there's an election coming up, a primary. But I just want to start us off by talking about uh, judges, more talking about my attitude toward judges. I don't think uh, I'm alone with this, okay? But I'm just going to put the spotlight on my attitude, and you may recognize yourself and what I'm about to say. So my attitude about a judge is pretty much determined by a particular ruling that the judge makes. Because, folks, I don't go through life knowing every judge in the Cook County judiciary. I got to confess, I do not know. Jacob Kaplan, my distinguished guest, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party, he probably knows every judicial candidate. But that's his job. Also, he's an obsessive political geek. He's got a lot of issues. So that's, that's a whole other issue. I am an obsessive political geek, but I do not know every judge in the judiciary. They pop into my view when there's a story about a particularly contentious case that they've ruled on. And it breaks into the right one, the Sun-Times, it breaks into NPR, et cetera, and so forth. And I read about it, and then I reach a conclusion about that judge. And I admit right now, it's completely unfair. My attitude about judges is completely biased based on how I view their last decision. I say that up front as a way of saying my favorite judge right now in the state of Illinois is Judge Tracy Porter. She was the Cook County judge who said to Donnie Trump, you are an insurrectionist, my friend, and you're not even my friend. You do not belong in this ballot because the 14th Amendment is absolutely clear. And she kicked him off the ballot and was like, yes, Judge Porter for president. Then there's this other judge, Kathleen Burke. Come on, Judge. She's the one who kicked off Bring Chicago Home, the referendum question. Her explanation, like, I'm like, I didn't really think she had an explanation. It was more like, I don't like it. It's off. And so now everybody's scrambling to figure out what's going on. Is It's, it's on the ballot, but it's not going to be counted. Is it going to be counted? There's going to be appeals. But how can the same judiciary produce two judges that have 
in my humble opinion, such extremely different contrasting opinions. It boggles my mind. My head has just exploded. <laughs> to help me figure this out, as I said, my dear friend, Jacob Kaplan. Welcome back, Jacob. Been too long. Thanks for having me, Ben. Always happy to chat. Uh, Jacob Kaplan, ladies and gentlemen, executive director of Cook County Democrats, is probably the biggest political geek in the city of Chicago, uh, right up there with Danny Pogoshelsky, water rec uh, commissioner, and Ben Jarofsky. Uh, and they used to come on all the time as the political know-it-alls, and they moved on to bigger and better things, so they don't come on as much as uh, they used to. But we used to have a gas uh, with those uh political know-it-all segments where we just take the deep dive in the most arcane uh, Democratic politics and Republican politics, too. Uh, all right, uh, Jacob, so let's start. Uh, we're going to review sort of the primary that's ahead uh, for uh, Democrats and Republicans. They get the vote, too. Uh, see, they we're do. fair. We, we... <laughs> Maybe there'll uh, be some turning out to vote for Nikki Haley. Who knows? She is on the ballot in Illinois. So. Is she on the ballot? I, she I, is. I, she yeah. is on the ballot. Okay. Wow. If she's on the ballot and she's still running. So, yeah, we'll get into the impact of Nikki Haley in a little bit. But let's talk about these judges. Uh, both of these judges that I alluded to are uh, have been endorsed at one point or another by the Democratic Party, I presume. And uh, so how do you deal with that, Jacob? There must be rulings that I'm not going to force you to give an opinion and you're not going to give one anyway. Uh, so how do you deal with that when a judge that you your party's endorsed gives a ruling that you're going, what the hell are you thinking about? Go ahead. Well, I mean, the good news, and this is the reason why we have uh, different levels of courts. So if you if you disagree with the circuit court ruling, you can appeal it to the appellate court. And then if you disagree with that ruling, you can ask the Supreme Court in the state to take it up, too. So that's why, you know, even if there's a ruling that uh, you disagree with, there is there's a, there are appeals. And I would say, you know, in this case, I, I know you disagree with uh, one of the, Judge Burke's ruling and you agree with Judge Tracy Porter's ruling. But. I would say there are two different issues. You know, one deals with uh, the Fourteenth Amendment and Trump being uh, eligible or not to run for office under the U.S. Constitution, and the other deals with kind of the intricacies of ballot referendums in the city of Chicago, which are very complicated. So, there are two different issues. Uh, I, I will say, I you know personally, I was happy that Judge uh, uh, Porter's ruling. I mean, I, I do think that. Uh, that President Trump should be disqualified under the 14th Amendment if you read it and in the plain language. But I also believe that no matter what happens here, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to weigh in soon and probably say, you know, you, you can't do this. States can't do this. And uh, he has to be able to run. And you can't have one state disqualifying a presidential candidate and others saying it's fine for him to run. It's just too much disparity. So uh, but. You know, again, it's their rulings I agree with, their rulings I disagree with, and that's just the nature of the of the justice system, and that's why we have appeals. Certainly, President Trump is using that uh, to his to his advantage in many ways. Well, let me ask you this question: uh, since you raised uh, the uh, what, what we all assume will be uh, one of the main objections that the Supremes have, uh, the Colorado case, which is the case that before them, not the Illinois case, the Colorado case where they booted uh, Trump from the ballot. Um, so I'm going to pretend I'm a, you're a law school professor. I'm going to ask you this. Um, why is it okay for, let's say, Alabama to have its own rules and regulations regarding uh, uh, abortion? Uh, or And uh, it's okay that they have uh, pretty much outlawed abortion, but 
it's okay for Illinois to have a completely different attitude. Why do you permit uh, differences of opinion, if you will, on the issue of abortion or IV uh, uh, fertilization, uh, let's say, in, in Alabama versus Illinois, but you can't allow a state to determine uh, who's gone their ballot or not? Well, that's, you know, don't forget before uh, before Roe v. Wade was, uh, was overturned, there it, it was more of a federal... Uh, issue where states could not restrict abortion after after a certain period. So now that Roe v. Wade is gone, states in our federal system are free to uh, determine if they want to restrict abortion or other reproductive rights or not. So that's why you have this disparity among the 50 states. Now, when it comes to elections, it's kind of a split uh, situation where some election powers are left up to the states and are very decentralized. Others are centralized and, and prescribed in the U.S. Constitution. And I think you know, when it comes to people, candidates running for president, the issue is that a lot there's not a lot of precedent in what's happening here and in having somebody who could potentially be disqualified under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. But it does bring up this issue, and I, I heard it at the oral arguments a couple months ago at the uh, Supreme Court listened in on them, that, you know, it, it could be a slippery slope where not only is it states like Illinois and Colorado saying that Trump can't run for office, what if... Uh, Republican states decide to say Joe Biden can't run for office because we believe he's in violation of uh, the 14th Amendment for whatever reason, even though he's not. I mean, or they come up with some other reason. So I do see the argument that you can't have a system where different states can just decide to remove presidential candidates from the ballot. That's not democracy. So it's a complicated issue. And only because of uh, Donald Trump's uh, total carelessness for democracy and the uh, Constitution, that's why we're having to deal with this now. All right. Uh, well, let's go. Let's have the debate because uh, I immediately had some objections uh, to what you said. Number one, um, first of all, let them do it. If Alabama were right now, say we don't we are not allowing Joe Biden uh, to be on the uh, to ballot, they would have to, first of all, come up with a reason. A reason that could survive judicial review. Uh, and so I don't know what that reason would be. They're uh, right now trying to impeach uh, Mayorkas, the uh, uh, Secretary of Homeland Defense, so Homeland Security, excuse me. So uh, they cooked up a reason to impeach him. They're cooking up a reason to impeach Biden. So let them cook it up and see if they could pass the, a judge, a judge's review. Colorado passed a judicial review. Furthermore, I think I would actually welcome it, and I'll tell you why, and I'll get your reaction. I believe um, that the greatest insult to the concept of American democracy is the electoral college system, which completely eradicates the popular vote. We, the only contest in the history of contests in which the winner can be the loser is the American presidential election. In no other sport does the team that prevails on the field get to be the victor, even though it lost. And you could do that in America because this cockamamie electoral so, all right, let's just expose it for the complete and utter corruption that it is and allow only five states. We'd save a lot of money and time, Jacob. We would. Uh, let's see if we could agree in the states. I put Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona would be the five states that would get to vote in the presidential election. And everybody else would rush to those states. Can you? I mean, just think about it for a moment, Jacob. Like everyone in New York and Illinois would be in out in Wisconsin, knocking on doors from both parties. Um, 
So well, yeah. isn't it kind of like that already? I mean, that's how it works. With those are kind of the only states that matter in the election, arguably. So, so. so let's go full full Monty then. Let's just say, yeah, the whole thing is a fraud. Let's okay, Alabama. You want to kick Joe Biden off the ballot? Do you have good reason? Do you have cause? Can you get a judge to agree with you? Go ahead, knock yourself out. What's your response? I mean, I just think it would it would make things very chaotic. I mean, things are already are chaotic, but just a lot, you know allowing that and having to litigate it in all these different states would, would just be chaos. And uh, sure, you could say, yeah, there's no reason for Joe Biden to be disqualified under the 14th Amendment or otherwise, but these states have come up with crazy reasons before. So, and just to, you know, to have to go through and litigate it in every state and with the clock ticking towards the election, I can see, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I see the Supreme Court's, uh, I think where they're heading towards on the opinion they're likely to issue, that's going to say that, uh, Sorry, Colorado. Sorry, Illinois. You can't just throw Trump off the ballot or any other candidate off the ballot because you believe that he's disqualified under the 14th Amendment. Um, I don't. I, by the way, I don't think that'll be there. I agree that will ultimately be their decision. And they'll say that. I also think that Alito will probably go along with that. You follow it? Is it Alito and Thomas? There is no insurrection. Uh, and yeah. Isn't that the position of Judge Justice Thomas's wife? There was no insurrection. Pretty much. Uh, Justice Thomas should be recusing himself, but he won't. So. Yeah, we have a higher standard of justice in Illinois. Ann yep. Burke recused herself on cases that even indirectly involved her husband when she was on the state supreme. Her husband being Ed Burke, a former alderman on the 14th Court. So I just want to say that we have higher standards of reform. When it comes, you agree with me on that one, Jacob? I do. I think the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, is basically operating without any sort of. Uh, ethics rules they say they have some and and but i i you know what, what is the enforcement mechanism and uh I, I don't believe they're following the standards of ethics that other states and, and supreme courts of states follow at all i think it's totally it's just uh it's whatever they feel like doing yeah all right so let's move on to some of the contested races in uh, cook county and the chicago area often it's a really tough position that democrats find themselves in because there's factions within the party that support one candidate or another. Uh, we saw that, like, for instance, in the mayoral race of February uh, 2023, the first round anyway. Uh, and um, not that contentious. Uh, well, I guess I guess at the Cook County State's Attorney's race, uh, it's pretty. Um, there's pretty sharp division uh, there uh, in the race uh, between uh, Clayton Harris uh, and Eileen O'Neill Burke. They're... Uh, battling for the Democratic nomination to see who gets to succeed uh, incumbent uh, Kimberly Fox, uh, who's stepping down and will not run, is not running for re-election. Uh, so without further uh, fanfare, who did the Cook County Democratic Party endorse? Go ahead, Jacob. So for state's attorney, we endorsed Clayton Harris. Uh, we endorsed him back in August when all 80 committee persons from across the county got together and uh, took votes on who the party should endorse and support. So we are a strong supporter of uh, of Clayton Harris. We think he'd be best to uh, take the reins at the state's attorney's office. I mean, he, when you hear him speak, he talks about the need for safety and justice, and they and they're not uh, opposites. They can be. Uh, we can, you know, work together to towards both aims, and uh, they're complementary. So we believe he's the best choice. He's not only has served in the state's attorney's office, he uh, has served at many levels of government. He was the executive director of the Illinois Port District. He uh, uh, worked for the city, worked for the state. So he knows how to manage a large office. And that's really what we need as well. Um, so that's who we're supporting. Uh, of course, there are 
some supporting uh, his opponent, Eileen O'Neill Burke, who was a uh, appellate court uh, justice and uh, uh, was a state's attorney, assistant state's attorney many years ago, but has been a judge more recently. And uh, the party just did not agree with her kind of vision for for the criminal justice system. And, uh, you know, we, we feel that, you know, it, there's no doubt that there can be always going to be improvements uh, how justice is administered. But with the Safety Act and I believe arguably the success of the Safety Act, we need a prosecutor in there who understands how to balance these two uh, aims of safety and justice and can do it with an aim towards uh, all areas of the county and taking everybody into account. So we're strong supporters of Clayton. We've got he's got a lot of support all over the place, all over the county, and we think he's in a good spot to win on on March 19th. Now, was that a, a contentious debate uh, among the committeemen uh, before uh, you sided with Harris? Uh, actually, didn't end up being very contentious. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of the coverage at the time, but uh, Justice uh, Burke kind of came in and with an attitude that uh, she f was kind of angry at some of the committee persons and there was some back and forth. And ultimately, it didn't even, I don't believe, come down to a uh, roll call vote. I think it was a voice vote and overwhelming support for Clayton Harris. So. Uh, and again, strong support still in the party. Almost everybody is sticking with uh, Clayton Harris for the uh, for the March primary. All right. Uh, and uh, Justice Burke uh, that uh, Jacob is alluding to is the candidate, Eileen O'Neill Burke. It gets very confusing. We've already had four Lots different Burks. Burks mentioned. We're not related. Two are yeah. related. That's there's yes. Ann Burke, the former Supreme Court justice who's married to Ed Burke who is the former alderman, and then there is Judge Kathleen Burke, God, I'm doing this, the, the dyslexia is kicking in, who made the Bring uh, Chicago Home ruling, and then there is Eileen O'Neill Burke, who is the Cook County State's Attorney uh, candidate. All right, so what you just uh, alluded to, you're the reason why you endorsed uh, Clayton Harris, the reason the party endorsed Clayton Harris, I should say, is like at the heart of a fundamental divide. Uh, in attitudes toward prosecutors and prosecution. And the Cook County Democratic Party, under the leadership of uh, Tony Preckwinkle, has made it clear which side it's on in this divide with the nomination, first of Kim Fox, who was a leader of, I guess you call it the reform movement, and uh, to rethink criminal justice prosecution. And uh, she won Kim Fox in the face of heated opposition in 2020, Pretty remarkable uh, re-election win, I thought, in uh, considering what she was up against uh, after this, the summer of, of rioting and unrest uh, with the George Floyd murder and just the whole Jesse Smollett fiasco that was still playing out. She won re-election. I'm pretty sure both newspapers, uh, I, don't, I think the Sun-Times may have endorsed her, but the, of course, the Tribune, <laughs> what a joke. Uh, <laughs> they are like a joke, you know. Uh, the editorial page of the Tribune. So do you think this is uh, a winning issue with voters to continue the push for criminal justice reform, Jacob? Or uh, is there a part of you, the political junkie in you, that says, hmm, the tides may be turning here? Go ahead. No, I think I think the, the, the electorate still in Cook County uh, overwhelmingly supports these criminal justice reform uh, uh, efforts. And again, it's not like by doing criminal justice reform, that means you just let, you know, let the criminals do what they want, as people say, you know, kind of the straw man argument. But, you know, and, and of course, there's there's issues with with crime and carjackings and murders still in, in, in Cook County and in Chicago. But I do believe overall that the electorate and certainly the Democratic primary electorate especially supports uh, 
criminal justice reform and continuing uh, many of the strides that the state attorney's office has made over the past eight years. So that's I, I think that uh, that that's what will happen in the election on March 19th. And what impact do you think the Democratic Party can have uh, on behalf of Harris? I think it can, it can have a, a, a tremendous impact because, uh, you know, we send out mailings. We do uh, we actually have a commercial going up on streaming services shortly. We have uh, text messages. We do all this outreach with our slated candidates. And there's a lot of voters, especially your hardcore Democratic primary voters, which are going to be those that turn out in this primary. Remember, this is probably going to be a relatively low turnout primary because really the top of the ticket is the clerk and the state's attorney. Joe Biden is doesn't really have real opposition here, and there's no other federal or state uh, countywide race. So state's attorney and clerk of the court are the top of the ticket. That'll draw some people out, but it'll generally be a lower turnout election. And so when those hardcore Democratic voters, the ones that always vote in Democratic primaries, see who the Cook County Democratic Party endorses, many of them give that uh, quite a lot of weight. So I think we will have a significant impact in these races. Uh, Another impact uh, that you could have has to do with the uh, clerk of the circuit court, and that is a other contested race in Cook County. And you have endorsed a candidate in that race who name, whose name rhymes with Metropolis. Uh, and uh, so, <laughs> uh, so why don't you take it away, uh, Jacob, and talk about that race? Go ahead. Sure. This is a, a, another race, clerk of the circuit court, where we are endorsing uh, Mariana Sparopoulos. Uh, she is a currently Water Reclamation District Commissioner has been there for a number of years and is now running as our endorsed candidate for Clerk of the Court. Uh, We did endorse her over the incumbent clerk, Iris Martinez. Uh, Just to be uh, transparent, the party did not endorse Clerk Martinez in 2020. Uh, We went with uh, Mike Kebanarji, who unfortunately lost that race. Uh, So Clerk Martinez has been the clerk for the last four years. But when looking at the uh, issues there have been in the clerk's office, and many of these have been covered in the newspapers, whether it's ta- uh, talking about the clerk keeping uh, convictions on people's records when they should have been expunged or putting incorrect uh, convictions on people's criminal records, uh, to uh, the issue with many of her employees being uh, encouraged to donate to her campaign, uh, which we feel is uh, unethical and, and and many others do as well. We feel that uh, the party felt that it's time for new leadership in the clerk of the court's office. So that's why we're endorsing Mariana Sparopoulos, she has, you know, years of experience in the Water Reclamation District and another uh, government agency. And we think she's also an attorney who the current clerk is not. So it'd be good to have an attorney in charge of the clerk of the court's office. And that's why we're backing Mariana. We believe that she'll win in uh, in March in a couple of weeks. Now, this is an interesting um, sort of evolution and transformation in terms of uh, Iris Martinez. Uh, yes, you uh, your the party did not endorse her in 2020. She was victorious. Uh, nonetheless, she did very well in that election. And I actually remember uh, you coming on the show uh, in the aftermath of that election to talk about how well she did do and what that said about Cook County voters and low ballot races. And um, the future looked very bright, to put it mildly, uh, for Iris Martinez. Within, I would say, a year or two, she was openly battling Rosanna Rodriguez, the older woman in is, is Rosanna the committee woman? No, but she's running against uh, Iris. Iris is the committee woman of the 33rd Ward, but Rosanna's running against her. So, yeah, Damn, yeah. that's a showdown. Uh, and I, I just, that one baffled me. I guess I should be baffled by nothing in uh, Chicago politics. But, I mean, you talk about an unforced error. 
in my humble opinion, by Iris Martinez, to have an open fighting with a huge chunk of her electorate. Now, I said, well, they're too lefty for me. Yeah, but I mean, the Democratic Party's got a Big Ten attitude. Got all kinds of people in the Democratic Party we got to put up with at various times. You know, maybe there are some issues that you just go too far and you have to remove yourself. I remember 1972. The Dems kicked Richard J. Daley out of the convention. And so a lot of Democrats, this is before Jacob was born, but he actually knows what I'm talking about. A lot of Chicago Democrats said they were Richard Nixon. He had gone too far. But I can't think of anything that the, my beloved lefties did that would force someone to go into open warfare with them. Uh, this was even before the Gaza resolution. It's just like, what are you guys doing? You know? Uh, so anyway, what is going on in the, with Iris Martinez and the fight with Rosanna Rodriguez? Take it away. I don't know what to say. And it's not just with, uh, with uh, Rosanna Rodriguez. It's with others. I mean, she supported Aaron Jones against uh, Senator Rob Martwick, a, a, a Republican against our Democratic state senator, not just a Republican, but somebody backed by the FOP. Uh, so, you know, it's just for whatever reason, uh, Iris Martinez decided to back a lot of candidates against uh, different people. And what's crazy is she lost every one of the races she got involved in. So uh, I don't know what what the thinking was there, but uh, it was definitely ill advised. And that's why another reason I think the party decided to go another way. In this uh, in this primary election, it's not easy for us to go against incumbents. We don't usually do that, but here we had good reasons to. And uh, talk a little bit uh, about Sporopolis. Um, I see her. I've been seeing her name. This is uh, this is going to be a, a, a revelation about where I love to eat at the Greek Islands, one of my favorite restaurants. A shout out like Harry Carey. I was at the Greek Islands last night, and uh, but her photo is is there. Uh, so clearly she has support in a Greek American community. Uh, what about outside of that particular community? How, how widespread is her support in your humble opinion? I think it's pretty widespread because she's been on the ballot several times. Again, she's been reelected. I believe it's three or four times as a water reclamation district commissioner. And it's certainly a name that uh, may be hard for some folks to pronounce, but it's memorable. Sparopolis. So she's been out there uh, all around the County many times running for office and she has uh, a good amount of money in her campaign fund. She's outspending uh, Clerk Martinez at least four or five to one. So uh, I believe that she'll get her message out. And between that and the party endorsements, she should be in a good spot to win. All right. So I'm going to deal with ethnic names right now and get your riff on your take on this. This is going to be my riff. Uh, and this is a guy who is, is Jarofsky, dealing with that name my whole life. The mispronunciations uh, going back to, with school teachers going back to kindergarten. Um, I, I'm going to say something that's so obvious you're going to laugh, but I do not believe there's a disadvantage to having a cumbersome name that's hard to pronounce. In fact, I think it'd be a benefit if you play it off with humor. And I'm thinking of Rob Bogoyevich did it. Uh, Alexei Junulis did it. Uh, and you just got me thinking it with, uh, uh, it rhymes with Metropolis. So now in my mind, uh, I'm dealing with it. Um, there's just something about we talked a little bit about this actually with Martinez back in 2020. Uh, so it's time to update it. Um, there's something I think positive about a name that's obviously of an ethnic group. If you follow what I'm saying, as opposed to just a generic name. Uh, you know, we used to always say uh, that the Irish names had the best with judicial uh, races. And we just joked about the four Burks. Uh <laughs> Four Burks in one show. 
But talk a little bit about uh, the impact of an obviously ethnic name uh, in a Democratic primary. No, I think I think it can be an advantage. I mean, of course, conventional wisdom, as you say, for many years in Cook County has been if you have an Irish name, especially in a race where nobody knows anybody and it's a down ballot race, the Irish name is likely to win. But I do think if you have an ethnic name that uh, that stands out, it can make a difference. I mean, look at our good friend, Dan Pogorzelski, long Polish last name, and he includes on the ballot Daniel Pogo Pogorzelski, because Pogo is the nickname everyone calls him. And I think that stands out on the ballot, and that's part of why he won. It was only by about 2,000 votes, but he won last cycle because of that uh, name, partially, and people remembering it. So it's not enough to have a unique name, but if you are able to take advantage of the unique name, like you said with Janulius or Sporopolis, and kind of do some things that help people remember your unique name, I think that's an advantage on the ballot uh, compared to just kind of generic names. I, I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, all right. So uh, those are the two, uh, the main, main contested races you were pointing out. Uh, there are no races at the top of the ballot. I mean, obviously, uh, Biden and Trump, but I'm talking you know, about that Dean Phillips vote for against Biden. I don't think that's going to be all, all that much of a impact. What do you think? No. <laughs> well, that, you're just talking about this coming primary, but yeah. Uh, uh, but in the general, uh, neither uh, Senator Duckworth nor Durbin are running for re-election. Uh, Pritzker is not running for re-election. The gubernatorial race was taken off the same cycle as the presidential race, again, before Jacob was born. Uh, it happened in 1976, I want to say. I'm doing that for memory. Correct. Uh, yeah. And uh, God, unbelievable. The memory is still held intact. Uh, and so um, that's pretty much it. The the hottest race, state's attorney, clerk of the circuit court. It's kind of a quiet election. Do you agree? I do. And that's why, you know, I, I do think it's likely to be lower turnout than usual. I think the last time we had a uh, similar uh, situation to this ballot was 2012. That's when Barack Obama was running for re-election. So there was no contested Democratic primary. There was no Senate race, no, no uh, state race. And the turnout in Cook County of Democrats was around 450,000, I believe. So I, I think it'll be somewhere similar to that more than likely. All right. Uh, so what we do not have in the state of Illinois is what they have in Michigan. Uh, well, let's go, let's uh, switch gears to Michigan, whose primary was held uh, this week, Tuesday, uh, and they give voters the option to vote for uncommitted in a presidential uh, primary. So you can vote for Joe Biden, uh, Dean Phillips, I'm doing this for Marianne Williamson. How about, the, my memory is going good, man. <laughs> Uh, and uh, or uncommitted and uncommitted got 100,000 votes, uh, approximately roughly 13 percent of the overall total. Uh, clearly, uh, there were uh, a message was being delivered uh, to Joe Biden about uh, his policy and his attitudes toward uh, the war in the Middle East uh, and that he had too openly embraced Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, we do not have that situation in Illinois. Is there any talk uh, that far as you know about an organized effort uh, to leave just not vote at all for the president, uh, take a ballot, and let's say vote for clerk at a circuit court or Cook County, a state's attorney or judges, et cetera, and so forth? I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard of any organized effort to say, let's not vote for Biden in the uh, in the primary coming up in a couple of weeks. No. So, uh, so what impact uh, do you think the Michigan vote has uh, in the uh, upcoming presidential election? Well, I think you can look at it a couple ways. I mean, it is a it was a large number, 100,000 people, no doubt about it. In the, in the Democratic primary, voting for uncommitted is is not small. But of course, percentage wise, it was what, about 13 percent, I want to say. And I think when Obama was running for reelection in 2012, 
Uh, again, basically uncontested. The uncommitted vote in that primary in, in Michigan was something like 12%, the uncommitted vote. So it, it's not out of line percentage-wise with past uh, with past uncommitted votes in similar situations. Uh, but of course, 100,000 votes in a state that was very close in the last election is not something to uh, take for granted. Now the question is, how many of those uncommitted votes are just protest votes that want to send a message to Joe Biden, but ultimately when the choices between Biden and Trump in November will come back and say, eh, I don't may, may disagree with Biden on some things, but I'm not going to go with Trump. So I, I don't think, you know, some people are trying to spin it like this because a total disaster for Biden. I don't believe that. I believe it is something to flag and be concerned about, certainly. And I know they're concerned about Michigan. But let's let's face it. There's also the fact that on the Republican side, Nikki Haley got a lot of votes in Michigan as well. And something like 20 was a 25 percent, I want to say, or 23 so, yeah. So uh, I think that's a, in some ways, a bigger problem for Donald Trump than the uncommitted vote is for Joe Biden. Because I don't believe practically any of those Haley voters that are voting for her in the Republican primary now are going to come back and vote for Donald Trump in November. Very few will. Those are people that are they know that Haley has no shot at winning because <laughs> the primary is pretty much over. But they wanted to send a message to Donald to the Republican Party and say we don't support Donald Trump. So I just I think that's a bigger problem for Trump than the uncommitted voters for Biden. I do think Michigan will be very close, as will Wisconsin and other swing states, and they have to do everything they can in those states for November. But uh, I, I, it's it's concerning, but it's not it's not a disaster. Well, let's talk about the Republican Party. You spend your life studying it because you want to beat it. Uh, so let, so the guy probably knows a lot about the Republican Party, uh, even if he keeps it to himself. But that's how. Uh, Oppo guys go in elections. Um, this has now more than ever become Trump's party. Uh, and um, just think about it, in 2016, when Donald Trump was running, many Republican incumbents uh, endorsed other candidates and mocked and belittled Trump. Uh, here we are, eight years later, he's still, um, put a mildly, a monumental political force uh, in American politics, and he's completely taken over the Republican Party. Uh, there, the the I guess the next chair of the Republican Party is going to be what is his daughter-in-law or his daughter, uh, and um, uh, so what impact? If you're a Democratic strategist, which you are, does that complete takeover by Trump of the Republican Party? Uh, what impact does it have on larger electoral politics? Well, I think it just shows that. Uh... Like you said, it's the party of Trump. It's the mega party. And so the question is, what's going to happen when hopefully, and we'll be working hard for this, Biden wins again, re-election in November. Will there actually finally be some sort of uh, reconsideration of Republican policies and uh, a decision to move on from Trump? Or will a similar Trump play figure or even, I'm not ruling out Trump again, running again in 2028. I wouldn't put it past him. So Will the party finally realize this is not a recipe for winning? We keep losing and we got to do something different or will they keep making the same mistakes? That's the real question. And of course, the more Trump is taking over the party apparatus, the more it is currently the party of Trump. And that, But that tends to be the case, honestly, to be fair with whatever, whoever is the presidential nominee, typically it gets a lot of influence in the party and what, and what happens there. So that's not exactly a surprise. But again, what is a surprise is that there's just all the opposition, all the you know people that are supporting Haley and all that are basically otherwise locked out of the party. And this is the party of Trump. And what's going to happen when 
you know, hopefully uh, we win in November and uh, the party has to reconsider what to do again to win. So I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I, yeah, I would have thought that after 20, you know, after 2020, the party would have reconsidered and gone another direction for 2024, but they didn't. So I'm not ruling out the fact that it continues to be Trump party through, uh, through 2028 and they just keep losing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, when I asked that question, I listened to your response uh, in my own mind, I was thinking about how I would respond uh, to that question. And I realized it's, there's so many unknowns, there's so many variables. Uh, so let's assume a couple of our guests have gone in a different direction. Let's assume that uh, it is Trump versus Biden. I've had guests who've openly predicted that uh, it will not be Trump versus Biden. Either one or the other will not be on the, or both. I will be not be on the ballot, but let's assume it is. We don't know, A, who wins, B, whether when he loses, will Trump concede the election? Will he continue uh, his proclaiming that he was the victim of, of a cheat? Uh, and will that force the Republican Party to remain permanently locked in his embrace? He asserted in the aftermath of the election contrary to all evidence that he the election stolen from him and at first if you recall the response of the, the grown-up republicans isn't that what they call them was this is uh insanity let's go with ron DeSantis, who is trump-like without this insanity and trump dispatched DeSantis, and DeSantis is now endorsing trump it's like <laughs> so yeah jacob your point about Trump running in 2028, I don't think this ends for Donald Trump yeah. in 2024. You know, we'll, well it may in. end with, uh, let, let's face it, assuming he loses in 20 in November, he may end up in jail, prison, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's how it may very well end. <laughs> I would hope it ends because uh, the trials will go on. And uh, I think he's going to be found guilty on a lot of those counts in different courts. So, all right. Well, okay. So right now, since you've made that point, let's get to it. Uh, on top of being a political junkie, uh, Jacob is a lawyer. Uh, the Supremes are about, the U.S. Supremes are about to consider uh, the immunity uh, claim by Trump that essentially he cannot be charged with anything that happened while he was president. Essentially, they're asking for a proclamation by the uh, Supreme Court that he is above the law, that he is, in fact, the emperor. Uh, and that he could, to use his example, murder somebody, cook up some reason how it's a political or it was a presidential decision to murder and he would be exempt of prosecution. That is the position he has taken. That is the position that the Republican Party has largely taken. Do you believe there would be five justices? It only takes five to support him on that and make him the emperor. Go ahead. No, I don't. I, I think this is a very clear-cut case. I think it'll, I, it could even be nine to zero. I doubt it because I think Alito and Thomas will, will decide to side with Trump on this, how crazy as it is. But I, there's not going to be a majority vote for to say there's no, that there's, that presidents are completely immune from prosecution for anything they do, that they're basically kings during their time in office. That's insane, quite frankly. What, now what I wish would have happened is, you know, the DC circuit, the court below had a very well-reasoned unanimous opinion about why presidential immunity doesn't apply in this case. And the Supreme Court could have just decided not to take this case and to leave that that decision in place. And then the trial in the D.C. Circuit and you know, Judge Shutkin's uh, court 
room could have gone on and hopefully been done prior to the November election. Now, it does seem like some of the justices on the court, the Supreme Court, even though they may, and I believe a majority will vote to uh, say that there is not blanket immunity for presidents, there are enough of them that want to do Trump a bit of a favor and delay things a bit. So now oral arguments happening, I believe, on April 22nd. And so hopefully it, it, it's a very expedited schedule. Don't get me wrong for the Supreme Court. And they realize this is an election case and there's no, you know, there's an election in November and this impacts it. But it still is a bit of a delay that makes it less likely that this trial will happen prior to the November election. It still could. But I think what the court is doing here more than anything is giving Trump a bit of a a favor here in, in delaying things, but I don't believe they'll rule that there's uh, that there's complete immunity for everything when you're president. All right, Jacob. So you effectively predicted uh, that the Supremes uh, would rule against Trump on the immunity question. Let's deal with the Colorado question. Let's get your prediction on the record. Most guests on this show say the Supremes will vote against Colorado, keeping Trump on the ballot, regardless of the 14th Amendment, by a margin of eight to one or nine to nothing. What's your prediction? Yes, I, I agree. I think it'll be probably nine to nothing. I mean, it, listening to the oral arguments again a, a few weeks ago, I, I don't see there. It seemed like every justice, even the uh, the liberal justices, were, were were saying this is basically leaning towards how you know indicating how they're going to rule. So I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And what a bunch of wimps. Uh, all right, that's me, not Jacob. Jacob did not say that. Okay, I said it. All right. What a bunch of wimps indeed. All right. Uh, so let's get let's close by talking about uh, what went down in Alabama and uh, your thoughts on the impact of abortion uh, in this election. Uh, and this one is kind of under the radar. I mean, it's talked about a lot, but because the pro-choice movement has no allies to speak of in the Republican Party. Follow me on this, Jacob. In Illinois, I don't think there are any state reps who are pro-choice. And so the Republican Party has completely been taken over by MAGA, which means uh, anti-abortion. This controls the Republican Party. It's not viewed with the same, what's the word, Um, volatility of, let's say, support of the the United States' embracement of uh, Netanyahu, which most of the opposition is in the Democratic Party. So Biden has to deal with an open uh, revolt of Democrats. Trump doesn't have that. What It's under the radar how independents or moderate Republicans who still persist in the Republican label in the age of Trump will react. And it's uncertain how they're going to do it in a presidential election uh, where with Donald Trump saying something thing like what, what is he saying? I, I, uh, I'm not going to push for a national uh, a ban on abortion. He may say that uh, he may not say, you never know what Trump. So what's your thought of how uh, abortion plays uh, on the presidential race? Oh, I think abortion will still be a major, major issue in this race. I think certainly the Alabama decision about in vitro fertilization uh, plays right into the hands of uh, of Democrats. And I think we are trying to bring this to the forefront. I mean, Republicans can say all they want that they disagree with the decision to 
say in vitro fertilization is uh, uh, cannot be used, but there are many that are kind of very beholden to the uh, to the anti-abortion movement. Then some of those folks absolutely want this practice to be outlawed. So they can say they're pro-life uh, all they want, uh, but th it's not pro-life to say you're against uh, <laughs> in vitro fertilization. I mean, this is something that wasn't even on anybody's radar or controversial at all, even 10 years ago. So, but this just shows how far to the right and how captured the Republican party is by the anti-abortion fringe. And many of them have different feelings, but they can't state them. I mean, and uh, so I, I do think the more we can question Republicans on this issue and they have to keep dodging the question, the more it brings to people's minds and keeps in people's minds that, hey, I'm worried about uh, abortion rights and sure, you know, it's legal in Illinois right now, but what happens if Trump, God forbid, wins and Congress goes into Republican hands, they can pass a national abortion ban. Or if he gets to, God forbid, appoint a couple more, let's say Justice Sotomayor leaves or has health issues and he gets to appoint to replace her. I mean, there, we could get to a point on this court where there's support for fetal personhood, a decision in the Supreme Court, which would basically say that a fetus is a living human being and you can't... Uh, you know, so all abortions are illegal and they could try to do this through a uh, judicial route uh, nationally. So all of this is very possible. I mean, look, nobody thought Roe v. Wade would be uh, overturned. So I think keeping this issue at the forefront is something Democrats have to do. And that's something we have to continue doing all the way through November. And it'll help our candidates and uh, and Biden in that election. Uh, I'll go. I'm going to push back with you that nobody thought a Roe v. Wade would overturn. Terry Cosgrove came on this that's show <laughs> for six years. Uh, and said they're it's already pretty much been eviscerated uh and they're going to overturn it wake up that was that's the terry cosgrove message which i've been hearing for a long long time so i had to push back uh yeah. on that one terry cosgrove used to be the head a personal pack and a, a good friend of this show comes on all the time all right yeah i, I i'm with you i uh it's gonna be harder to measure uh i think um because it like i said it's a subterranean protest but this is something that's uh, absolutely not uh, going away for sure. All right, we'll close with your predictions. Uh, this is an easy one. <laughs> what are your predictions uh, for the primary? Uh, I guess there's really only uh, uh, two uh, seriously contested races, so it's really not really sticking your neck out uh, here. Uh, I'll throw in a Nikki Haley prediction as well. Uh, so we'll start with um, the Nikki Haley question. In your humble, well, no, let's do the other ones and we'll close with Nikki yeah. Haley. Uh, so your prediction on the clerk's race, what do you think? I think Sparopoulos wins the clerk's race, of course. And yeah. Do you have a percentage? And, oh, I don't want to get into percents. Now you're putting me on the spot. Gosh. In the old days, he used to get into percents. A win is a win, all right? A win. Yeah, right. That, that is true. That yeah. is very true. Uh, uh, Harris. Harris will win, too. That's my prediction, yes. And then finally, uh, now you're going to have to get a percent. Nikki Haley. <laughs> Nikki Haley is on the ballot against Donnie Trump. And uh, oh, no, now that I'm thinking Republicans, I got a couple more before we get to Nikki Haley. Yeah. Uh, Mike Bost versus Darren Bailey, the big fella, DB downstate, uh, was kissing Trump's butt. Mm -hmm. Come on, Donnie. I love you. I love you. And then Donnie just totally cut him. <laughs> he endorsed Boston. Yeah. All that ass kissing didn't get uh, it didn't get you that endorsement, DB. Uh, yep. So who do you predict wins that primary? Oh, Boston win that for sure. He's going to keep his seat. I mean, that's the, getting the Trump endorsement sealed the deal, I think. So do you think Trump uh, endorsed Boss because he did a, a long, a serious examination of their records and came to the conclusion that Mike Boss is the better candidate? Or did Donnie Trump just think, ah, if I endorse Bailey and he loses, I'll look like a loser. So I'm going to yeah. go with the front runner. Is that what yes. I 
totally. That's that's why. So <laughs> he, needs, saying, he needs to back a few winners, right? So. <laughs> so you're saying Donald Trump has no integrity whatsoever. Is that what you're saying? I am saying that. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right. So we got the boss Bailey question. Sorry, DB. Would you lose again? All right. Nikki Haley. So she's effectively conceded that she's not going to be the nominee, more or less conceded that, but uh, says she's staking in the race. She's staying in. Uh, I think, what is it? I don't know if she's given a deadline as to when she's going to leave. She hasn't really. I mean, yeah. Yeah. She just wants to. I think she's taking this to the convention. I think she's yeah. staying in. I don't think she's dropping out at this point. But, well, I mean, I mean, there's a long, there's the <laughs> long shot chance that the Supremes kick Donnie off the ballot. Uh, so uh, if there's any way we can get uh, Judge Tracy uh, Porter on the Supremes uh, <laughs> to replace uh, Alito, maybe, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> she could talk some sense into the Dems, uh, but that's not going to happen. But you got to stick around just because of that long shot chance. Uh, all right. Uh, so what? What chunk of the vote will she get as a protester here in the state of Illinois? What chunk of the Republican primary voter voting block, uh, essentially, is what you're asking, uh, remains like an Adam Kinzinger uh, Republican? I, I think she gets something close to 30 percent. That's that's my sense, because there still are, you know, moderate Republicans in the collar counties here that will still pull a Republican ballot to, again, probably specifically to protest Trump, just like uh, people did in Michigan. Yeah. So. I think she'll do even better in Illinois than she did in Michigan, percentage-wise. Mm. And uh, and still the and still the Republican Party will not be alarmed. You know no, what I'm saying? No. And still, this is my favorite <laughs> little twist: the New York Times will not report that this is a significant challenge. Because I don't know if you this is the joke we do in the show all the time. The New York Times is dedicated uh, to winning over readers by scaring uh, Dems. That's their that's their uh, strategy. So they all everything is a threat to the Dems and Biden. Every every political this is a serious threat. They the never win. This is why it's bad for Joe Biden. That's yes. how he's the headline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You notice that too, every man. Time. Yep. <laughs> so pathetic. Uh, no matter what happens, uh oh, what does this mean for Biden? Yes. Um, so thirty percent. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. 30, wow. That's, man, yeah. That's, that's a big chunk, man. It is. Uh, so Donnie, you got your problems too. All right, Jacob, it's a blast talking politics with you. And uh, when producer Chris is done, nobody will know about the trials and tribulations we went through uh, and, and <laughs> with the uh, computer. But uh, thanks for putting up with us, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, Jacob? Of course. Sounds good. All right. That's great, Jacob Kaplan. Uh, I also want to thank producer Chris. Does an outstanding job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, if you want to catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, you want to get those Benny J bonus interviews? You want to play catch up over the weekend on Ben Jarofsky's latest articles? Well, you need to head to chicagoreader.com for all of that. Or if you want to follow Ben on Instagram, it's at Benny J Show. Check out all of his reels, like him, share him with your friends. And then don't forget, while we're talking about sharing, tell your friends about the Ben Jarofsky Show. And then uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and follow it on all your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. Have a great weekend, everybody.